Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. We hope to enrich your life through reaching, serving, giving, and building. As you listen to this teaching, be inspired to fulfill your God-given destiny through the power of His Word. Hey, let's get in the Word. If you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Acts. And we're kicking off a series today called On Your Mark. As we look at the book of Acts, read through it uh, on on a Healing Place app. You can kind of see a reading plan there. They'll take us through it over the next four to six weeks and be a part of that. We're going to talk about reaching our world. And so we're talking about on your mark because we believe that God looks at us and says, on your mark, get set, what? Go. And that's what the book of Acts is about. That's what God calls us to do. And I think it's a little bit ironic that Pastor Mike asked me to kick off this series because there aren't many people on our, st- on our staff that are less likely to run than I am. Uh, I'm just not into it. I used to tell people all the time, if you see me running down your street, you need to go back inside because something's chasing me. Uh, it's not a choice that I made. And uh, lately, though, kind of getting older and trying to take care of myself, I've started to run a little bit. But I, and this is the honest truth, I never run more than a mile. I just, because halfway through a mile, I'm thinking this was a terrible decision, Uh, but I'm far away from my car. And uh, so I'll run a mile, which is another reason that every time I run, I run by myself because Jesus said, if anyone asks you to go one mile, go with them too. And I don't want to put myself in that position. And so I kind of just kind of stay to myself when I do that. Uh, But when you think about a runner and when when the guy says on your mark, get set, go. When he says on your mark, They get in a position of readiness and expectation. And I think that's what God wants from us. When he says on your mark, you don't see, I love to watch, and I I don't like to run. I love to watch people run. I can watch it all day long. And so I like to watch the Olympics or there were some collegiate things last week. I saw a little bit. And so when the guy says on your mark, you don't see the runners just kind of hanging out, looking like this on their phone. What do they do, man? They get down in a position of readiness. So at any moment, man, they are ready to go, ready to do what they are there to do. And I believe that's what God wants from us. He wants us ready to move. And not only are they in a position of readiness, they're in a position of expectation. They're expecting at any moment that gun's going to go off and it's going to be my time. And that's what God wants from us. He wants us to be in a position of readiness, but also of expectation. Man, expecting God, I hope every single time that you walk in these doors, that I walk in these doors, we don't do it out of routine or out of religion, but we are expecting God to move in our lives, in our families' lives. Man, serve day in July, that's just not something that we do every year. We're expecting that people are going to get saved because of that day. We want to be in a position of readiness and expectation. As you read through the book of Acts, that's how they lived. Man, they were always ready to do something. They were ready to serve God and they lived in a spirit of expectation, man, that any moment God could just do something incredible. And I think one of the reasons that they lived like that is they understood that God was moving before they got there, that God already had a plan. God was doing something. In fact, as you read through, hopefully over the next few weeks, look at the sermons And notice how often when Peter or John or Paul preach, they start way back in Abraham and they'll say, God was doing this in Abraham. And then they'll talk about Moses and then they'll talk about David and then they'll talk about the prophets and then they'll talk about Jesus. And then they talk about themselves as being right in line 
with everything that God was doing all along. You see, I, I think sometimes, and I know if you were to eavesdrop on my prayer life and my interaction with God, it would seem like as if God had no ideas. Like I had to talk him into moving. You know, like I'm Lord, you know, can we do this? And, you know, God's up there saying, well, you got any ideas? I really hadn't, you know, put any thought to it. I'm kind of a last minute person. God's not like that. Man, God's got a plan. I've heard people say this all the time. Sometimes we wonder why God's not blessing what we're doing when he's asking us to do what he's already blessing. And God from long ago had a plan to reach the whole world. God is moving everywhere. And in the book of Acts, they entered into that. And so as we look at that, we want to talk about that over the next few weeks of not just seeing it as, Lord, what are you doing in my life? But God, what are you doing in the world? What are you doing in my community? How are you already reaching people? And how can I be a part of that? And I think about that. I think we've done a pretty good job. And I don't mean we, just the church in general. Over the last maybe 20, 30 years of trying to communicate the fact that Christianity is not a religion. All right. Religion is you do these five things and you get God's favor, whatever God that you're talking about. There are plenty of religions in the world. Christianity is not a religion. What do we say all the time? It's not a religion. It's a relationship. You can have a relationship with the creator of heaven and earth. And I think we've done a good job of trying to communicate that. But I think sometimes what we miss is the fact that Christianity is not a religion, but it's not just a relationship. And so catch this with me. It's a revolution. It is, it is a movement that is out to change the world. I mean, as you read the New Testament, one of the things that got the people of the New Testament in trouble so often, whether it was Jesus or the disciples, is that when a Christian came to their town, all the people in power understood this movement is dangerous. To those in power, to those that wanted to keep the status quo, they understand, man, this is not just a few people over there just kind of singing and praying and doing their kind of thing. Their goal is to take over the world. And that is what we are a part of. That's what Jesus came to, to start. In fact, what was his main sermon early in the Gospels when it takes Jesus' sermon and puts it down into one sentence? What does he say? Repent. Now, what does the word repent mean? A lot of times, we, which it kind of does, repent means stop doing bad stuff, start doing good stuff, feel bad for the bad stuff you were doing last week. All right. And it, it kind of is that. But literally in Greek, the word repent is metanoia. It means change the way that you're thinking. And what would Jesus say? Repent, change the way that you're thinking because the kingdom of God is coming. Everything is about to be different. And I think sometimes we act, and I know I act like this, like God came just for me. And we say that sometimes, and it's true. I think we ought to understand he would have come just for me. He loves me that much. He loves you that much. He would have died on a cross if you were the only one. But the truth is, you're not the only one. And I'm not the only one. And he came for the world. And I think sometimes I act like the only reason Jesus came is to make me happier, healthier, and holier. And my prayer life consists only of those three things. Now look, there's nothing wrong with that. I think God wants me happy. I don't know why he'd want me sad. I think he wants me happy. I know he wants me healthy and my relationships and spiritually and emotionally. And I know God wants me holier 
because he says, you know, be holy as I am holy. But he came for much more than just my existence. He wants me and he wants you and he wants this community that we call Healing Place Church. He wants us to be a part of something bigger, part of a revolution that is here to change the world. And, and, you know, sometimes when I'm reading scripture and, you know, we don't say this out loud because it sounds unspiritual. Okay, so if this is you, don't raise your hand. You might get in trouble. I'll take all the blame on this one. All right. But sometimes I'm reading the Bible. I'll read something and think, man, God, I don't know if I would have done that. You ever read the Bible? Don't raise your hand. Okay. But you think, I don't know if I would have done that. Well, one place where I don't think I would have done that is after the resurrection, literally the first chapter of Acts. We're going to read a little bit later. Because you got to think of it this way. If Jesus came to change the world and bring the gospel over the whole world, and he comes down, he lives for 30, he ministers for three years, very public ministry in Jerusalem, does incredible miracles, then is killed very publicly, everyone sees him, he dies on a cross, and then what happened three days later? He raises from the dead. If I'm Jesus' agent at that point, we're going on a world tour, all right? How could you argue with that? Man, we're going to the temple in Jerusalem, all right? We're going to Caesar's palace, not the one in Vegas, all right? The one literally in Rome, all right? We're going to Alexandria, Egypt. I'm taking Jesus all, doesn't that sound like the best plan? Don't nod your head, all right? Because then you'll be disagreeing with God. You can't do that in church, all right? And so that sounds like the plan. But here's the interesting thing. Jesus did exactly the opposite. It's almost as if he went into hiding and he gathered a crowd of people. And the Bible says he spent 40 days with them and then he sent them all over the world. Jesus came to start a revolution and then he made the disciples responsible for that revolution. And if you're thinking, as we talk about kind of on your mark, in a racing sense, it's like Jesus ran his leg, then what did he do? He handed the baton off to the next generation. And what did they do? They ran their leg and then they handed the baton off to the next generation and then the next generation and the next generation. And so what happened? Before me, somebody ran their leg and guess who they handed the baton to? They handed it to us. It is our responsibility to reach our generation for Jesus Christ. It's nobody else's. We can't reach the past generation. We talk about the next generation. We invest in them. But it is our responsibility to reach our generation for Jesus Christ. And I think one of the reasons that sometimes Christianity gets pegged as being so boring is because there's no mission to it. We act as if once we get saved, we get saved and we find a seat and we wait it out till Jesus comes. And who would want to be a part of that? And I really believe, you know, I think this, when our Christianity gets still, it gets stale. When our Christianity becomes all about us and Lord bless my life and heal my life. And look, we all need, there's nothing wrong with praying for ourselves, but when it becomes all about that, and we don't experience anything else outside of that, and our Christianity gets still, it gets stale. And then we wonder why we're losing our passion, losing our fire. It's harder to worship than it used to be. It's harder to pray than it used to be because we've turned inward and made it all about ourselves. And I heard one guy say it this way, and I love it. He said, every Christian ought to have two testimonies. What God has, what God has saved us from, and what God has saved us for. 
And unfortunately, sometimes we stop at that first testimony. We can say what God has saved us from, for all of us. God has saved us from sin, from hell, and from death. And look, you can understand why people don't want to stop there. That's pretty amazing. In fact, I think we ought to clap our hands for that right now and celebrate, man. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, he saved all of some sin from hell, from death. And if we were to go around this room, we could all say some individual things that apply only to us, man, from addiction and depression and greed and anger and thousands of other things. We ought to have a testimony to save the world, to save the world. This is what God has saved me from, but we can't stop there. We got to say, this is what God has saved me for and talk about something in the future. That's what I want to look at today. If you have your Bibles, open up to the chapter of Acts, Acts chapter one. Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, really, if you're going to read the book this month, it could be seen as kind of a table of contents for the book of Acts. The rest of the book of Acts fits into this. And look at what Jesus said in chapter 1, verse 8. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So here's what I want to talk. I want to break this down a little bit. The first part says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. It's important for us to know, God will always give us the power to do what he has called us to do. He'll never ask us to do anything that he doesn't give us the power to do. And we need to understand this power is not just some force. This is not Star Wars, all right? May the force be with you. The power is a person. It's the person of the Holy Spirit. And we're not going to get into it because I'm not smart enough and we don't have enough time. But the Bible says that we serve one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's job is to make God's plan a reality in this world. And it's that Holy Spirit that empowers us to do his job. So how do we get with this power? How does this power become real in our lives? I, I thought about two words, commitment and connection. If we're going to be empowered with the Holy Spirit, it takes commitment and connection. And here's what I mean by commitment. God's power is not like a used car that we can take for a test drive to see if we like it. And sometimes that's what I think I want in my life. Lord, I, I want to experience your power in my life. And if I like the way everything turns out, then I'll commit my full life to you. That's not the way that it works. God empowers those that are committed to him. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, in verse 4, before we, what we read, Jesus tells the disciples, he says, I want you to wait in Jerusalem and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And guess what they did? They waited in Jerusalem. And then in Acts chapter 2, he empowers them. So what came first, power or obedience? Obedience comes first. And obedience always comes before God's power in our life. God will not give us power hoping we will commit our lives to him. We commit our lives to him and he empowers those who are committed. So if we're going to experience God's power in our life, first of all, we've got to be committed. The second thing, and I think this is so key, is connection. We've got to connect to that power. And the way that we connect to God's power is through prayer. I had an idea this week and I, I, so I looked it up to see if I was right and I was. So please enjoy this moment with me because it doesn't happen a whole lot, all right, or I'm right. But I thought, you know, the whole goal of the book of Acts is to see people saved. Everything they do, everywhere they go 
It's to see people saved, experience salvation. So I did a little word search in the book of Acts. And I looked up saved, salvation, save, all those words. You know how many times it's mentioned? 16 times. And then I looked up prayer. Pray, prayed, prayer. You know how many times that's mentioned? 34 times. More than twice. Now, why would the book of Acts talk about prayer twice as much as salvation if salvation was the goal? Because the salvation only came through prayer. God doesn't want us to focus on the goal. The goal is his job. Our job is the process. And it's prayer that connects us to the power of God. All of the miracles in the book of Acts, all the salvations in the book of Acts, they are the products of a life of prayer. The early Christians were devoted. They were committed to prayer. It's prayer that helps us and really the only way that allows us to plug in to the power of God. You know, I thought about some of the things that we have on stage, like some of these lights and stuff like that, that I don't understand how any of this works, all right? But here's the good thing about them. I don't have to be an electrical engineer. I don't have to be some light guru to get those things on. I don't even have to know how they work. I gotta know one thing, what? Plug it in. If I plug it in, it works, all right? Here's the other side of it. Even if I were an electrical engineer, if I understood everything about how those lights work and how the conduit was run and all of that stuff, but I didn't plug it in, does it do me any good? No. Plugging it in is what prayer is to the Christian. I don't have to have the whole Bible memorized. I'm not telling you not to read the Bible. That's very important. We're reading through the Bible, through the book of Acts this week. I don't have to have the whole Bible memorized and be a great theologian to experience the power of God in my life. I just got to pray. I just got to connect with God on a regular basis. And the flip side is true. I could have every word of this book memorized and I could know everything that there is to know about God. But if I don't connect with him in prayer, I'll never experience the power of God in my life. Because the truth is God's power is the only thing that can get at what we really want anyways, which is the transformation of a life that is only possible through the Holy Spirit. You know, and this was really driven home to me, uh, uh, say a few years ago. I'm getting old when a few years was like 10, 15, 20 years ago, all right? Uh, but I have my master's in theology, which that, and I would say a quarter, but now it's like eight bucks. We'll get you a cup of coffee, which I don't drink anyways. But a master's in theology, man, that don't hardly get you nowhere, but I got it, all right? Spent a lot of money to get it. And so I, I always say that to say, to set up this story. I remember when I was in seminary, I was getting my master's in theology. And actually, I thought I was doing pretty good. And so, you know, I, I was in school, but to pay the bills and my rent and all that kind of stuff, I worked at a restaurant. And what was interesting is, you know, my life, I was mostly surrounded by Christians at the time. I went to school with Christians. I lived with Christians. I was involved in a good church. And so I was with Christians there. When I was at the restaurant, they weren't Christians. In fact, I thought in high school and college, I knew some sinners. The, I was getting my master's in theology. They were getting their master's in sin. Not only were they sinners, they were creative. I learned some things, man. They were doing stuff. I'd never, they called me Opie, all right? And so, they, man, they were, I'd never heard and just kind of crazy. But, you know, I thought, you know what? This is my mission field. And, and I'm going to be the best I can be and, and so into them and so pray for them. And I'll never forget. So one night, I'm at, I, man, I can remember so clearly, I was at the tea station, 
Because that was a big deal. I mean, you got in big trouble if you poured the last glass of tea and didn't refill the tea station for the next person to come, all right? So I'm at the tea station, and I'm refilling the tea station, and this girl came up to me. Her name was Stephanie, and I knew what she was involved in before, and you name it, she was involved in it. I mean, just everything. And so, and she comes up to me, and she says, hey, can we talk after work? And I was like, yeah, I would love to. So we finished our shift, and we go to Chili's. And we're sitting across the table from each other over a little, you know, plate of some chips and some queso. And we're talking. And she says, tell me about being a Christian. And I was like, this is it. All of my training has brought me <laughs> to this moment. You know, and a grasshopper and all that kind of stuff. And so she's like, tell me about being a Christian. And so, I mean, I, I, was, I was telling her about, you know, grace and forgiveness. And the great thing is it's, it's not about what we've done. It's about what he's done for us. And you can accept all of this by faith and he comes into your life. And so she was listening, man, I was just rolling. She goes, but, but here's the deal. I want to have faith. I just don't know how, how do you believe nothing? I had nothing. I couldn't think of, I rambled through something, but it made no difference in her life. And I'll never forget going home that evening so dejected, thinking, what is the point of all? I remember I went home. I, got a bookshelf, I had a bookshelf then, and it was filled with all these theology and Bible books. And I remember going home and looking at that and thinking, what is the point of all that? If I literally have somebody that walks up to me and says, how can I become a Christian? And I can't tell them. And, man, I was just I was so distraught, just kind of trying to figure everything out. And about two weeks later, same restaurant, she walks up, kind of passes me on the back, says, guess what? I got saved last night. I was like, what? I was like, hold on, I wasn't with you. <laughs> She's like, no, I was just, I was in my living room and I just started praying. I said, God, give me faith. And he gave me faith and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And as far as I know, she's serving Christ today. <laughs> so here's the thing, and I'm glad we're celebrating it because that's amazing. Had absolutely nothing to do with me. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we got to have God's power in our life because he is the only one that can change a life. And if we're going to be part of this revolution and, and kind of get in a position of, of, of readiness and expectation, we've got to be connected to God's power because it's the only thing that can make a difference. So he says, you'll receive power from the Holy Spirit. Why? He says, you will be my witnesses. God's power has a purpose. You know, and sometimes we want power in our life, but we don't really connect it to anything and have a, have a purpose in our life. And I was thinking about this this week and just think about the fact that, you know, a few years ago, I've, I've never been one to work out and exercise a lot. Uh, but a few years ago, I kind of started back again. I did when I was single because I had a reason. I mean, I was trying to look good. Uh, but then, you know, at my age now, I don't, because I don't, you know, looking good's, looking good's not a, I'm to the point now where the best I can hope for is to look good for my age. All right. That's just kind of, as good as it gets, which is why I don't understand why people lie about their age and say they're younger. I will go the other way. Hey, how old are you? I'm 83. Man, you look good. You look great. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm just kidding. Don't lie about your age or anything else. All right. And so, you know, and, and if I could look at nobody would care except for Roxanne, I got her under contract. So, you know, we're, we're good on that. But, um, so a few years ago, though, I realized, you know, I had to kind of start taking care of myself a little better. And so I finally had a reason. I had a purpose. So when I work out, I have three goals. Number one, I don't want to hurt myself. All right. If I can walk out of the gym, it was a good day. I'm just I'm too old to be involved in that. Number two, I realized that I need to start taking care of my heart 
cardiovascular and all that kind of stuff because I got five people that are depending on me to be healthy. And I'm realizing they're going to depend on me longer than I thought. You know, I thought I had about 18 years and they would go off the payroll. Uh, but the other day I, t- I told one of my sons, I was like, hey, take the dog out to use the bathroom. And I look out in the front yard and the dog's not using the bathroom, but my son is. And I realized this is going to last a little longer than I thought. I better really be healthy. And then the third thing is, I just want to be strong enough to open up a jar of whatever it is I want to eat, which tells you something about my diet. And so, you know, that's kind of it for me. But I'll see these guys in the gym. You've seen these guys, and if you're one of them, please don't get mad at me. It's the last people I want mad at me. All right, so, uh, but you see these guys, they're like this huge, and you think they're living in there? I mean, are you, are you sleeping here? I saw a guy the other day, he was working out his forearms, and I thought, he don't have kids, all right, because there's no way. I don't have time for that. And these guys, they're just so huge. And you see these bodybuilders and I'm like, what are you? I know what I'm training for. Are you expecting a car to fall on you at any minute? What's the purpose of all this muscle? And so, you know, you have, here's the thing. And again, everybody say, God bless bodybuilders. Because I don't want them mad at me. But here's the thing. They've got all that power, but it's for no reason. It's for show. Again, if that's what you're into, that's fine. I'll pay for your next spray tan. But I'm just kidding. I probably went too far on that one. Just kidding. So they got its power, but it's not for a purpose. Let's bring it back. If I'm not careful, my worship, my prayer, my seeking of God is really me trying to be a spiritual bodybuilder. I want God's presence. I want his power. I want his blessing on my life. But it's really not for the purpose that he has chosen, which is to reach the world for Jesus and to tell people that he loves. He says, the purpose of my power, I'll give you power of the Holy Spirit. What? So you can be my witnesses. That's what God has called us to do. We are to be witnesses. We talked about revolution and all that. But here's how we do it. We are witnesses of Jesus Christ. You know, what does that mean to be a witness? I I thought of three things. Number one, it takes power. We've already talked about that. We can't be a witness of Christ on our own power. It is all God's work. It is none of ours. The second thing, and this is a little tricky, but stick with me. We've got to build a platform. Now, I don't mean like a political platform, all right? But when somebody speaks, like right now, why am I standing higher than all of you? Just so you can see me. There's got to be something to draw attention to me. Now, that sounds weird because very seldom do we get in church and say, what you need to do this week is you need to draw attention to yourself. All right. You're not going to hear Pastor Mike talking about that very often. But when I was a kid, I had a youth pastor tell me something that stuck with me ever since. They said, your life may be the only Bible that some people ever read. And so with purpose in it, not in an arrogant, conceited way, We have to, in a sense, draw attention to ourselves so that we can be witnesses to Jesus. And here's how we do it. I think it's important that we live a life that other people admire. It's not a look at me thing. It's not a conceited thing. But here's the deal. If we are to be, if we were to tell somebody about Jesus, why would they listen to us in the first place? And I think there's three ways that we do that. We draw attention to ourselves, build a platform, again, for the purpose of being a witness. One is integrity. Are we known as a person of integrity, as a man and a woman of integrity? Can we be trusted in business deals? 
Are we not known as a gossip? Do, do our life and our words match? When we don't have integrity, we can't be a witness to Jesus Christ. It all starts with personal integrity. I think the second thing is this, and sometimes we leave it out because it sounds unspiritual. Integrity is important. And the second thing is this, excellence. Excellence. I believe God wants his people to be people of excellence. And I think one of the greatest examples in the Bible is Daniel. If you go back and read the story of Daniel. Now, Daniel had visions. Daniel was holy. Daniel obeyed God. Daniel was known as a man of prayer. But all the people he hung around didn't care anything about that. But they always wanted Daniel in the room. Why? Because when they were making the decision, Daniel had the best advice. When they had something to do, Daniel knew how to do it better than all of the sinners that were in the room. In fact, the only thing he ever got in trouble for was praying. So here's the thing. One of the best things that you can do for the kingdom of God and to be a witness to Jesus Christ is to be the best you can at whatever you do. Because chances are that's all the people around you care about. Whatever you do at work, man, be the, be be the best real estate agent, be the best supervisor, man, be the best mechanic that knows more about cars than anybody else. Be the best that you can be. People will start to look towards you and they'll get used to going towards you and they'll go to you with a work problem and they'll go to you with another problem. And then when they got a personal problem, who are they going to go to? They're used to going to you and you've got the answer. I know this sounds crazy. Even hobbies can be that way. Because, man, when people are into hobbies, man, they are into hobbies. And, and I read a story about a lady in another state. She was into dog training. There's nothing more spiritual, unspiritual, I guess, than dog training. What does that have to do with it? She led 60 people to Jesus through dog training classes. She was the best at what she did. Come on, you clap your hands for that. It's amazing. And I, I, one of the reasons I say that is because, and I want you to understand this. Wherever you are, whatever you do, now that could be as a parent, as a spouse, it could be in your home, it could be in your job, it could be, you know, hobbies and things you do with your extra time, whatever it is, wherever God has put you, you are as called to be there as Mother Teresa was called to Calcutta, as Paul was called to Rome. You are called to be there. And if you'll just build a life of excellence in things that seem totally unspiritual, people are going to start to look to you. And then we get to the third thing, power, platform. At some point, here's the deal, you got to preach. You got to preach. And I don't mean preach like get a sermon. But at some point, you have to say the name of Jesus. Evangelism is not a game of charades where it's all about action and we're not allowed to say anything. And I know we say actions speak louder than words, and they do. But if Jesus Christ has been the answer to your life, someone else needs that answer in their life. And again, when I say preach, I, I, I said preach because I needed another P, all right? Power, platform, preach. I worked hard on that. I hope you appreciate it, all right? I don't, some of you didn't even notice till I said that, huh? I don't mean preach, because what does a witness do? Does a witness say what they've known? No, a witness says what they've seen. And when you live a life of excellence and you live a life of integrity, and I'll say this, because this is important too, and you invest in relationships, 
Never underestimate the power of friendship, of just becoming a friend of someone, all right, and investing and letting people know that you care. And then they ask you, hey, man, I know you're going through this. How, how do you, where do you get your strength? Where do you get your joy? Where do you get your peace? Man, I'm struggling with this in my life. And they're used to going to you. What do you think about this? Man, it just opens up the door to say the name of Jesus. And look, again, it doesn't have to be a sermon. We talked about plugging. You don't need to know a bunch of theology. And, and I know sometimes it sounds weird. Man, I remember there was a time when I was 18 is when I really like burned the boats, committed my life to Jesus, no going back. And so I kind of got rid of one group of friends and I hadn't moved to another group of friends yet. And I'm sitting in LSU in math 1021 for the second semester in a row, which makes you understand why I was not an electrical engineer and couldn't wait to get out. And there was this girl that sat next to me and uh, she was from Lutcha. And I knew she was from Lutcha because she said Lutcha. If you say Lutcha, you ain't from Lutcha. And um, so she sat, she sat next to me. And, and, you know, we started talking. It was, I was kind of a shy kid, which is funny now that I do speaking and stuff, but I was kind of a shy, quiet kid. And, and so we start talking. She was kind of cute. And I'm talking to her again. Why well, didn't do so well? Matt 1021. And um, so I remember one day in the middle of class, she's like, hey, what are you doing this weekend? And my answer was the same every weekend. Nothing. Uh, nothing going on. And she says, well, hey, we're going out. And she starts naming all these bars and places that they're going. Why don't you come with us? And I was like, I, I can't. I don't do that. And she turned to me and she goes, why don't you do that? And I knew I had avoided the name of Jesus as long as I could. And I knew there was no, and, and as loudly and as awkwardly in the middle of class as I possibly could, I looked at her and said, because I gave my life to Christ. She turned like this, never talked to me again. So I'm not telling you to do that. And I'm not telling you, you got to prepare a sermon. All right. And actions do speak louder than words. But at some point, we got to say the name of Jesus. I love, you know, Acts 4.12 says this. I want to make sure I read it exactly right. Salvation is found in no one else. Listen to this. For there is no other name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved. And at some point, man, after we invest in their life, we've got to tell them about Jesus. So he says, you'll give power to be my witnesses he says, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And again, that's kind of like a, a table of contents for the book of Acts. He says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's where they were. That's the city they were in. He says, and in Judea, Judea was like the state that Jerusalem was the city. And then he says, Samaria, which is interesting because Samaria physically was close. But th and this is not a joke. It had never crossed the disciples' mind that God loved the Samaritans. They had never thought about going to the Samaritans, but God brought them to the Samaritans in Acts chapter eight. And then he says, and to the ends of the earth. And that picks up in Acts chapter nine. And God brought them to all those places. But where did he tell them to start? He said, start in Jerusalem. And you know, it sounds like such a big, Lord, you're, you come here to change the world. The pastor talked about world revolution. Where do I start all of that? He says, you start by being a witness in Jerusalem, by being a witness where you are, wherever you are. For some of us, that starts in our home, being examples of Jesus and talking about Jesus in our home. 
It may literally start on our street. Man, in a day and age where neighbors don't know each other, just literally getting to know our neighbors, getting to know those in our community, maybe in, in your workplace or things you do as a hobby or your, your kids hang out with you know, their kids and things like that. Just literally where you are, the things we talked about, being a witness, empowered by the Holy Spirit, where you are. And I thought about this, not just where you are physically, but sometimes where you are in your life can be more important. So you may be going through something now or have gone through something in your past that you wish had never happened, but it did. And that's where you are. And God can use you where you are in such an incredible way. Because someone else that's going through the same thing says, man, I, I know you went through a divorce. How did you make it through that? I know there was cancer in your family. I've got cancer in my family. I know you've got cancer in your family now. How are you, how are you putting a smile on your face every day when there's cancer in your family? And you wish you weren't there, but that's your Jerusalem. That's where you are. And Jesus says to you, I'll give you power by the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses in the middle of cancer, in the middle of divorce, in the middle of depression, in Baton Rouge, in Zachary, in Denham Springs, at your workplace where your kids are playing ball. That's where God wants us to be. Look, if he wants us to go to Samaria, then he'll take us to Samaria. And look, I'm not saying don't sign up for mission trips. Man, do that. We do literally have the opportunity to go all over the world. And it's amazing. But let's not look at the job as so big that we do nothing. God will take us where he wants us to be. But I believe there are people today that feel like, man, how can I make a difference? You can't on your own, but God will empower you by the power of the Holy Spirit to be a witness to who he is wherever you are and change a life. And man, that is just as amazing as anything that happened in the book of Acts. Thank you for listening. For more information about Healing Place Church, go to healingplacechurch.org or give us a call at 225-753-2273.